You're listening to Divorce Story, the podcast that will help you get back on your feet after a relationship separation. And over the last 12 weeks, we've taken you through some steps that hopefully have helped you or your friend get back on your feet when life becomes one that you hadn't planned. I'm Annalise Dent. And I'm Cass Thorburn. And for our last show, we're hearing people reflect on what they wish they knew then. With the benefit of hindsight, what advice they wish they could go back and tell themselves when they were going through their toughest days. Plus, we're going to be chatting to social media sensation and author of the book, Happily Ever Fuck That, (laughs) our mate Constance Hall about co-parenting with new partners and some of her best bits of advice to thriving after separation. Constance Hall is no stranger to a public split. With a million plus followers online, the spotlight and scrutiny she endured when her marriage ended was intense to say the least. Con since repartnered with Denim Cook, and between them, they have seven children. Yikes. <laughs> Con, welcome to Divorce Story. Thank you so much for being our very special guest today. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe it's taken this long. You wrote a very fabulous book, Happily Ever Fuck That. Yes. So if, if anyone hasn't seen it or read it or heard of it, what what is that book? That is a book. I wanted to write a book about divorce because, I mean, it's one of those topics I think, and as you guys would have come across since starting this podcast, that, hang on, someone's coming in. Can you please let mummy have one minute to herself? And what happened was I realised that everyone's getting divorced and no one's really talking about the joys of divorce. Everyone's talking about it as if, like, I remember being at a party and this guy came up to a friend of mine and he's like, how are you? And she's like, oh, pretty good. Separated from the kid's dad and he he had an American accent, which made it so much worse. And he was like, oh, my God, that is so messy. You poor thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe how messy that is. I'm so glad I'm not there. <laughs> and then I was yeah. like, Aunt, she's like, I don't actually, actually, I'm having the time of my life. I'm having better sex. I'm going out all the time. I get time away from my kids. I feel like a new person. I feel like I was dead in my marriage and now I'm alive. And I found that was a common thing with so many people that I met. So I really wanted to write about it, but I didn't want to, um, I wanted to do service to what you go through before you get to that other side as well. You know, like I didn't want to gloss over that because there is so much heartache and so much hardship. You lose your friends, you lose your family, you lose your house, you lose your kids, you know, you lose it all. And then you rebuild and you gain it all again, but it doesn't come without a huge a huge burden. So yeah, I wanted to write the story to say to anyone who was, basically the book was for anyone who was in that, who was, you know, as um, Brene Brown calls it, when you're face down in the arena, when you, you know, when they were in the middle of that to show them that there is so much brightness and so much light on the other side. You just need to keep the faith. Absolutely, Con. There's almost so much shame with it that people, first of all, you know, got divorced and they're like, oh, that must be just so bad. And yes, it is really terrible. But when you start to feel really good and they ask you and you say, oh yeah, I'm great. They go, really? I know, can't we bitch about him? Can't we just talk about how shit your life is? So true, it really is. Yeah, it's the, it's the remaking of you. It's kind of like having a baby, you know, like you go through the yucky baby era, baby days and the pregnancy and everything's fucked and hard and you're not sleeping and then all of a sudden you just sort of wake up one day and you're back at work or there at school and you've got a bit of freedom and you've also got these children that you never thought you could love as much as you do. It all comes good in the end. 
I really don't, you know, my um, my husband was reading about divorce and he reading some book about it with some really, um, something that was really well researched, unlike me and anything that I write. And, um, and they said that back in the old days when marriage was started, people didn't live anywhere near as long as we lived. So they were getting married and they were staying married for about 10 years before they carked it. And <laughs> I really do think that there's something to be said for that. Like we're not designed to stay with somebody for more than 10 years. And I really do hope that I'm with my current husband for a long time because I do have that knowledge now that the grass isn't greener, you know, like everyone's got their own shit. But, um, and I do love him, but I, at the same time, I'm not going to be hugely disappointed like, you know, my life plan, things didn't go to plan, you know. I hate that. I really hate that stigma that there's a plan and we should be sticking to it and that is to get married and have children, buy a house and to live happily ever after and it's just it's just not the case. Or that someone else owes you happiness in that, you know, if you're no longer with the person you were married to, then you're not going to be able to be happy. Why not? Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Because I find that when I ask a man how he is, he'll tell me how work is. How you going? And he'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I got this contract. That means I'm working away a bit, but, you know, I get to spend a lot of time with the kids and heaps more money. Great. Ask the wife how she is. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Jonathan's um, working really hard, so our relationship is not great. We're fighting all the time. So women, we really do value our own happiness on the state of our relationship and blokes tend to value their happiness on the state of their career. So, um, on when I think about you, I think about you as the step-parenting guru because you were a step-parent from a really young age and now with your new marriage you've got stepchildren. I feel like you've been doing it, you know, longer as long as you've been a grown-up nearly. What are some of the biggest challenges with step parenting, do you reckon? Biggest challenges with step parenting, I would say, are um, obviously um, so I've got challenges with parenting, as you can tell. I'm good living alone. Thanks for coming in to this, Raja. Um, I think the challenge is that, you know, there's always going to be favouring of what your biological children. And one person will always favour their biological children. You might not as a stepmom. I try not to. In fact, I try and do the opposite. I try and favour my stepchild because I know that he wasn't born with this innate knowledge that I will love him forever and ever. I have to prove that to him, whereas my biological children were born with that knowledge. So my kids always say to me, that's not fair. You let him do this and that. And I'm always saying that's because he doesn't know He wasn't born knowing that he was allowed to do that. You are. You can walk all over me. You know that for a fact. And so I'm not one of those parents. I find my husband can be a little bit towards um, favouring his own children, his biological children compared to mine, and I don't blame him for that because I have, you know, four. It's a little clan of rowdy, screaming, badly behaved kids. So and then he's going to, you know, obviously feel for his other one who's older and, and all the rest of it and on their own in this household. But that's what always makes couples fight. We always say, you know, it always comes down to, but your kid did this, well, your kid did that. And then once you start, once you start doing that, playing that game, if you're saying anything negative about somebody else's children, especially someone that you're in love with, you're, you're going to fight, you're going to hate each other, you're going to resent each other. It feels like scratching a blackboard hearing someone say something nasty about your children. So I think that's, you know, that's usually the problem. And the problem with that comes from, you know, expectations of other people's children. We come into these marriages with these expectations that it's going to click and it's going to be happy families and all the rest of it. And it's just not. There's no natural clicking with stepchildren. It's hard work and it's a strong friendship 
and it takes a long time to learn to trust each other and to live with each other and, and to live with each other's shitty moods and all the rest of it. So if you could just, if everyone could lower their expectations a little bit of each other's children, know that you're probably going to hate the other person's kid every now and then and they're probably going to hate your kids every now and then and that's absolutely okay as long as nobody's speaking hatefully or behaving hatefully. It's okay to not just be the Brady Bunch. When you first get into that blended family scenario, Con, like when you first got with Denim, let's, you know, go back to then, how was it introducing all the kids? Like how did you put much thought into how to do it? No, that's, that's my, the magic of what I do is that I don't put any thought into anything. <laughs> and that's true. And so I just let it all sort of happen and I let problems unfold as they unfold and I deal with them as they come. Whereas, oh, my God, this kid, I'm trying to go into different rooms he's following me. Very <laughs> um, sorry about this, listeners. Whereas, um, yeah, so many people preempt problems that weren't even ever going to arise. And me and them actually, our kids started blending before we even got together because they had similar interests. They were all skaters. We became friends. Zeke's friends were kids were friends with my friends' kids. And so there was lots of eating together and you know, like fish and chips at the skate park. And, dinners at my house before we even got together and then all of a sudden the kids saw us sleeping in the same bed and they were like whoa what's going on here and we were we just hooked up so they found out as we found out and there was no real problems with that you know like it just sort of was what it was we didn't create any trauma we didn't you know like everyone says that you will we didn't um yeah come into any big problems so I think that um when it comes to blending the families and doing all the introductions and stuff just let it happen. Just remember, this is your life. You're allowed to live your life. Your kids are living their lives as well, but you're not living your life for them. And they need to understand that. Mum wants to be happy. So many people get manipulated by their kids. A big thing that made it easier for us, which sounds horrible, but Denim's kids have no mum, obviously. And so much of that toxicity and poison comes from the exes bitching to the kids and questioning kids. And then the kids come back from the ex's houses and they go, well, mum says that I don't have to listen to you and then, and then, and then. So we didn't have any of that. It was one big problem taken out of the circle. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, um, and the older Denim's kids are actually not your typical teenagers. They're not bratty or anything. They had lived on absolutely nothing and travelled the country on absolutely nothing. So they were very grateful and very sweet. And unlike bratty normal teenagers that are like, I want this and I want that and this is my house. And there was none of that. It was just, oh, my God, he's back. And <laughs> I'm being stalked. And, um, yeah, so, no, there was none of that crap. The older kids, I definitely think older children are going to be able to play you better and say, well, I miss the days when I just had my mum and all this stuff. <clears throat> That's probably not true. Oh, my God. I don't know what to do, guys. This kid won't shut up. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Been all day, and now all of a sudden he's got every like bilingual, and he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's got to teach people everything that he can say. Anyways, <laughs> so yeah, the oldest I do see it all the time with older children. You know, I your mum has been taken away from me. My dad's been taken away. You're not my real dad. Blah 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 blah. But we didn't really have any of that. We just, I think the trick to us was that we weren't going to put up with it, and the kids knew that. We were like. Me and my partner had both lived for our kids for a very long time and we'd sacrificed ourselves for a very long time. And when we met each other, we made it very clear to the children that we were paving a life for ourselves 
and that they were here with us and this was their place in the world, but this is not their place to control. This is not their place to, they, they will not be coming between us no matter what. And so they never tried. They always just, you know, my, daughter's, my oldest daughter just fell in love with Denim and his kids fell in love with me and, yeah, it was easy. <laughs> One of the things that I have you know, you've written about, I've heard you talk about a lot, which you're really passionate about is discipline and step parenting. What are your thoughts on disciplining step kids? Oh, my thoughts are that you can't do it at all. I mean, I get hassled about this all the time because if I write a blog about this, everybody always says to me, that's bullshit. You can. My husband's wonderful and he disciplines my kids all the time. But, and that's great. That's the exception. The rule is not true. If you have a partner who disciplines beautifully with um, respect and care and doesn't step over lines or doesn't make kids feel uncomfortable, great. Whereas in general with everyone that I've seen, it doesn't work like that. You know, there's definitely this, you're not my dad when the kid starts, when a man who's not someone's dad starts to yell at someone or discipline someone. It doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel right as a biological mum to allow that to happen, you want to jump in as the lioness and go, hang on a minute, you don't even know him. You don't know what he's been through. Leave him alone and blah. You know, it's just trouble. It's problematic. And Zeke, my oldest, who lives with us, Denim's oldest, he does naughty stuff now that he's a teenager. And I always tell Denim when I don't think that, you know, when I think that something should have been disciplined. But Denim won't necessarily discipline just because I've told him to, but I have to have my peace and have my say and tell Denim this is where I would, this is where I would be drawing a line. And so I know that it's got, I feel like it's, I've gotten it out and he can do what he wants with the information, but when it comes to me and Zeke, I just want to be supportive and what do you want me to, how can I help, what can I do? And as a parent, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, what you really want is for your children to show respect to other adults, whether it be another step-parent or another adult. So... <laughs> You know, that's what you really want them to have rather than to know that, oh, someone's going to discipline me if I do the wrong thing. You actually just want them to respect That's exactly right. You want them to want to do the right thing, not to be scared into doing the right thing. Yeah. Dr. Phil said that anyone who comes into anybody's life after the age of three can't be a disciplinary, authoritative figure. They can only be a friend and a supportive figure to the wife. So all the husband. Yeah. So, and I think that's really, really poignant because, you know, um, I, my twins were two when I met Denim and they physically needed to be disciplined. Otherwise, they're going to run on the road or, you know, eat dog shit. So you have, if you're caring for them, you have to be disciplinary. Whereas the older ones, they were actually like, yeah, no, I'm doing my thing. This is, we're cool. I've got my boundaries. I know them. I'll talk to mum if I've got a problem with it. And it worked so much better for him not to discipline them so I do think that the age thing is really really valid and I think hearing Dr Phil say that and Dr Michael Cargrave I was like yay that's exactly what I wanted to hear and I and I go back to that all the time I always say to my partner no it's not your job your job is not to yell at them your job is not to your job is to be a good influence but not to bloody yell or you know discipline okay now now we've got a vocal range from the toddler So, so Con, what are some of the positives, though, of being a step-parent? There must also be loads of those. Oh, there's so many positives. I love being a step-mom because I don't have to love you. I'm here because I choose to be. I'm here because I chose to be with your your dad, knowing full well what you're going to turn out like. You know, whereas if you were my kid that came out of my belly, I'm stuck with you. I chose you. I love you. I chose to love you. That, to me, is, you know, my stepdad chose to love my mum while... He knew that I was a little brat 
it's such a special relationship and a special, special bond. So I think that that's really, really important. It's a lifelong friendship, a lifelong bond. And I get to have fun with the kids as well because I don't have to do the discipline stuff. So they'll all be doing something really naughty. And, you know, I used to be like, oh, my God, I have to step in. I have to do this and that. And then when we put it in place that, no, that's not my job, I'm like, well, I'll tell their dad. But in the meantime, I can listen to all the stories. (laughs) 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 And I can have all this fun with it too. Like teenage boys are sort of the funnest people in the world. They're so naughty and so funny. So, yeah, I wouldn't change that for the world. (laughs) (laughs) So, Con, as someone who's been through it, you've written books about it, you have spoken to and heard thousands upon thousands of women's experiences of going through separation, what's your best advice? Well, it depends on what stage you're in in the separation. I mean, I think to myself, I know it sounds bad, but, you know, if you're sort of past the drinking yourself to sleep and crying every day, if you're moving past that, it's always good to shag somebody else, let's be honest. It does, help. it does help the heart. And I always recommend when you are rebounding to have more than one on the go at once because you do tend to get very <laughs> You know, you're trying to sort of fill a gap that was a very, very big hole to fill. So all of a sudden some guy's fucked you off Tinder and you're like asking him what he wants for dinner and does he like chilli or, you know, does he want his clothes ironed? And he's just like, okay, freak, I'm out of here. So in order to keep you from getting too clingy, have a few on the go. Smoke around a little bit. Have some fun. It's just distractions. We're just sort of putting band-aids over things while it really hurts in the beginning. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, it's just about getting through every day. And if that means getting excited because some guy texted and that's the break from, you know, being fucking depressed and miserable and hating everything about your life, wicked. Be kind to yourself. Do what you need to do. Go out. Have fun with your friends. Like whatever it is, Whatever it is that can give you that little bit of hope, to get through every day. It might not be fucking randoms, okay? <laughs> Maybe it's planning a holiday. I don't know. Some people are weird. But <laughs> plan something so that you have something to look forward to, something that you can be kind to yourself, spend a bit of money on yourself, whether it's fashion, holidays, routine men, whatever, but you need to you need to be able to pull your head out of that slump every day for a reason. Because otherwise it can just get too depressing and too hard. You need to learn to grey rock your ex-husband, which is, you know, just, um, or ex-wife if any men are listening to this, which is really just not answering, not buying into the arguments, you know, not allowing their bullshit to destroy you even more. No, it's just yes, no answers. And it's only about the kids and you just have to refuse to buy into them. Now we do this thing, Con, um, where it's if you knew then what you knew now, like thinking back to those really awful times, if you knew now uh, then what you knew now, what is it that you would say to yourself? Um, leave soon. No, that's the worst part about being a woman is that everyone's always telling us what to do and what's the, what, what we should be doing. But we all know what we should do. We just never feel ready. And so I just would like people to know and I would have liked to have known that you will never be ready. There is never a time that you're ready. So, you know, you know what you need to do. My psychologist used to say that to me all the time. You know what you need to do. I'll speak to you when you've done it. And I would be like, oh. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm just going to do something else for another year and a half and distract myself from the hardship. And the truth is there is no distraction. You just have to, get, you just have to bite the bullet and do it in the end. 
So, yeah, if I knew now what I knew then, I already knew it then. I would just act sooner, I think. Oh, it's one of the best things I've that's one of the best things I've heard. Well, our beautiful friend Constance Hall, happily ever fuck that. It is a brilliant read. I've read it and I'm not divorced and I couldn't put it down. I read it in two days and we'll definitely share where people can buy that in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing Pleasure. your time with us. Thank you for inviting me. Anytime, girls. So Cass Thorburn. I looked up then like I was in the headlights, didn't I? Like Cass Thorburn, oh, my God, she's going to, she's going to call me Cassandra in a I'm minute, asking, Cassandra. I'm asking for a bombshell. No, I'm kidding. Hi, Cass. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew then? I wish that I knew how fulfilled I would be because the opportunity that was presented was actually that, an opportunity to have a new chapter in life that I hadn't foreseen, but I would get to drive myself. I'd get to make every decision about. I'd get to own my own mistakes and, you know, equally um, celebrate my successes because it was going to be all mine, which sounds kind of like, you know, very, you know, self-motivated, but it is. It's not, you know, I didn't know that I would one day be on my own again, Um and so that can actually be a positive. I would also um, teach my ex how to get grass stains out of cricket whites because <laughs> it's particularly hard and it's very hard to get the stains out after they've, you know, been thrown in a washing machine and then given back to you and then you've got to try. It's like Without it's not Without the working. stain remover. It's, it's very difficult, yeah. I think I'll have to learn you know having boys from yeah. you how you do that. You know what, I would yeah. tell myself that it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, everything is going to be okay and it's, you know, it's something that, yes, um, um, a lot of people go through, um, but it's still your journey and you need to go through it for yourself and your children and not, you know, don't worry about the noise. Don't worry about what everyone else is saying as to how you should feel. You should go through it exactly the way you need to go through it. I think the one thing I would tell myself is obviously it's always about your kids and when it's about your kids, it's also about mum and dad. So I think the key thing is also to make sure that you take care of their mum, your ex-partner, as much as you take care of yourself. I would have spoken up a lot earlier and been a lot honest about what I wanted much earlier in the marriage when um, we started to do things that sort of he wanted to do in terms of settling down, you know, and fulfilling his dream. I would have spoken up a lot sooner and said, oh, this isn't actually what I want. I wish I knew about these um, mental health clinics, the inpatient clinics. The moment I started thinking like five years ahead was when I started to get better. I think it's just really important that you take time to care for yourself um, and I didn't do that. I think I like blamed myself a lot if my kids were upset. I'm like, oh God, it's my fault. Like, you know, and it's so easy to do that but I think it's really important that you take care of yourself and give yourself time, even if it's just a few minutes a day, just to sit and reflect and make sure that you're doing okay because you can easily burn out. So I would have left him a lot earlier because what I do know is that people didn't understand my decision. I, uh, all the friends that I thought I would lose, I lost. All the uh, the financial hit that I thought I it happened harder than I expected but it also I was stronger as a result from leaving. Divorce Story is produced by me Annalise Dent and me Cass Thorburn and the executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. 
And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star rating and a review. And only a really, really good review. Only good reviews. Hi, Cass. <laughs> <laughs>